Hey guys, welcome to the Couple Nurses Podcast with your hosts, Peter Fendero and myself, Matt Slarchuk. This is a podcast where we tackle current health news and hot nursing topics, one conversation at a time. How you doing today, Petey? I'm doing good. It's a nice little rainy day in Chicago, but like, I don't know about you, but I could sleep through rain like, like nothing. I had a hard and, time and waking up. Too. Really? And like thunder, rain, bad weather just um, makes me sleep. And that's like, this is like perfect. But I, I got to be awake. Yeah. Keep yeah. your eyes open, man. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, today we have a special guest. Uh, her name is Rayanne Moya. She is an ER nurse with over six years of experience being a travel nurse. Or not travel nurse, but an ER nurse. And she also has experience as a travel nurse. Uh, she's a travel junkie. Uh, spends most of her time traveling internationally and also enjoys going to, to concerts all across the globe. So how's it going, Rayanne? I'm doing very well. I'm excited to be here with you guys. So thank you for having me again. I know I keep saying that, but I think it's cool to be here. <laughs> and those that are listening on the podcast or those that are listening now, this is actually a live stream. So we're finally starting live stream on top of the list of things that we wanted to do. So this is an awesome test. If you want to check out the live stream, we're going to start having like a calendar, like a schedule. It's going to be out on Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube. So all you got to do is just type in cup of nurses and we will pop up. So just give us a little bit of intro of like who you are, just like a little idea for those that have no idea who you are. Sure. So it's, it's just always one of those questions where you're like, how do I explain myself? But I'm originally from Santa Fe, New Mexico, not Mexico in the United States. I promise a lot of people think that like when I, they hear the word Mexico, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm from the United States. <laughs> um, so from Santa Fe, New Mexico, really just kind of low key area. Um, I, have most of my nursing um, career at uh, the only level one trauma center here in New Mexico at the University of New Mexico Hospital where, I don't know, I feel like it really set me up for like success for my career. I never realized that. But like you said, I'm such a travel junkie. It's definitely what helps me keep like my work-life balance. And I'm back home in New Mexico right now for kind of just like a decompression after my last contract. Um, I love literally anything outdoors. I'm like a raver. Not like the typical raver, but like I love electronic music. So I kind of just let that um, lead me to wherever I want to go next. So I'm, I don't know. I just, I have, a, uh, again, a love for like nursing and that's why I'm doing this. Um, I know we can talk about that a little bit more during the interview, but that's kind of me in a nutshell. Yeah. Matt and myself actually went to our first like um, quarantine um, drive-in like, drive yeah. festival. We saw. Um, I saw that. <laughs> Greenfield was. Have you heard of Greenfield before? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think I even like liked it on Matt's stories. I was like, oh my gosh, I hate you. Like right now, like I would die to just like be anywhere that has like live music like that right now. Yeah, it was it was fun. But uh, for travel nursing, um, how much have you traveled? How much how much country do you think you've done? Because you said you spent most of your time at the University of of Texas or of New, New Mexico. Mexico. Sorry, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. No, that's fine. Mm-hmm. And how much did you do? Did you do like a few years or a few contracts? So I've done two, it's really funny. I've only done technically two contracts, but I've extended for both of those contracts. So most of my experience, I'm like not the typical travel nurse in that sense where I've actually gone outside of the, of California for like 13 weeks. I've just extended. Um, I, so I've only technically been in the Bay, in the Bay area for a year. So it's really hard for me to speak to that sometimes. Cause everyone's like, Oh, you're not like a real travel nurse. I'm like, I just loved the places that I was. And I thought it was like growing me in a certain way. And I just stayed there. So that's just, that's my overall experience right now. So the Bay area, number one pays really well. They have their patient ratios and their breaks. And I was like, why would I want to leave here? 
Yeah, that's so clutch. When I first, yeah. when, when I first went to went to Oakland, like having a charger and a break nurse, and you could just like go take a nap for half an hour. I was like, literally, I was like, what? I was like, holy shit, this is a thing. It feels wrong at first because I don't know like what kind of hospital. I mean, I think you kind of already touched on the hospital that you're you've been working at for the past three years, but like everywhere literally outside of California is this certain type of nursing that it's like the hustle culture of nursing. It's like you literally just like grind, 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 grind until you can't. And then you keep grinding. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I don't know. It's, and then when you go to California, you feel so guilty almost like I get a 30 minute break or like I get a 15 minute break or I'm not going to get six patients in it. Like all at the same time, like, it's foreign land, you know, it's like, this doesn't feel comfortable, but then you acclimate to that culture. And you're like, this is actually not that I think California is the golden standard by any means, but I'm like, this is like the golden standard of what nursing should be and why it would breed such a different culture of nursing across the America, really. Yeah, I think UCLA hospital, uh, UCLA University hospital, they have mm-hmm. like, um, the highest like, like retention rate yes retention yeah. and highest like happiness on like the nursing nursing skill it's yeah hard to get into but i mean I, i've never worked there i haven't talked to anybody from there but like the way it was in oakland if ucla compares to it then and, and if it's better it's like holy shit like i can't even i can't even think of a better better place to be right at. i've talked yeah. to a few nurses because santa monica is right next to them mm-hmm. and they had the pure dm nurses there and they have absolutely loved them man they've created a culture that wow just like you say, maybe potentially should be the gold standard for right. other hospitals to figure it out. Um, so, so I'm curious, what is the shift like for an ER nurse? This year, the first ER nurse that we interviewed, and I've worked ER nurse as a nurse once, but mm-hmm. I was as a resource. I floated oh, to okay. help another hospital. I don't know how to do anything. I honestly, when they, <laughs> they, uh, grab some labs off a little baby, I'm just like, Jesus, man, what do I do here? <laughs> First of all, I'm going to preface it with I, and I know that like this is part of it being an ER nurse, but pediatrics is not my jam. It's not. And they still scare the heck out of me. So like, even with this new contract that I'm about to take, they're like 16% of our population is peds. So in my head, I'm like panicking. I'm like, oh my God. And then I like changed my perspective. I was like, what a good time to practice this skill in my in my career so it's like but to get back to your question the er is crazy it is a crazy everything you could think about it and more it's a day-to-day shift is like you literally walk into work you uh get handoff report from your whoever it is you're getting handoff from and it's just like you literally hit the ground running there's no like here you could be getting let's say you have four patients one could be admitted overnight or it could be some kind of observation. One could be a literal brand new ambulance that you're getting as you're coming on the ship. So the night nurse hasn't even done anything for that patient. So let's say that they're a whole sepsis workup. That takes some time. So that's your second patient. Then you have a little gramita that's trying to get out of bed and like super demented. And then you have your other patient who's like, you know, fully dependent on you to take care of them or our typical on the call light all the time type patient. It's a different kind of needy. So it's like, you really have to like learn how to prioritize your care in such a different way. And the way I like to explain the ER is like organized chaos, except it's not always that organized and it's always chaotic. <laughs> um, what draws you to it, even though it's organized chaos? Like why you know do you prefer it over any other units? You know, what's really crazy is I actually was a part of the nurse residency program at UNM and 
what it did is it, it put you on two units before two units that were going to help build your skills to get to the emergency department, because it being the only level one in New Mexico, um, you can't just immediately go in as a new grad because that's kind of terrifying. So I had experience on an orthopedic floor and the a general medicine floor. And even after a year of being there, I was like, this ain't it. I was like, I get why nurses get burnt out and I get why they don't have this like passion in their career. It's, it's exhausting. At least that's my perspective. I know there are plenty of nurses who love being a floor nurse, Mm -hmm. but I think what attracts it to me the most is the chaos weirdly and the ability to like adapt to the constant change and know that I have the skill set to be able to save somebody's life. And I know that's, it's something that you don't really experience until you're in it. And I think like for the, for you guys, for the ICU, it's like those times when it's like the patient in room three is coding. Let's grab all of our stuff. Let's be a team and let's attack this. Cause I feel like in the ICU, it's you and your patients for most of the shift in the ED. And I, I know you guys definitely work as a team, but I feel like in the ED, it's like a huge cohesive team of like such like just different disciplinaries. So you really have to build good communication skills, good prioritization, having a good attitude and just like being able to like be adaptable to change. I think that's what I love about it. Yeah. We see, we see like our fair share of like organized chaos, like you said, in, in the ICU. Matter right. of fact, like, I think my whole life is based on organized chaos. We right. <laughs> the predictability stuff, because like through the ER, like you don't know what you're going to get and you're, you're the first one to lay eyes on his patient. Right. The ICU, it's kind of a little bit easier to, to gauge what's going to happen. You sure. do have like a critically ill patient. It, it, it is the ICU, but you can kind of gauge who is sicker than, than somebody else. Like, you know, you Absolutely. kind of know how your night's going to go based on like the, the huddle report. I'm not sure if you guys do like a, like a nursing huddle before you start shift. But we usually do that yes. in our unit and, you know, we explain what, what happened during the day and who's kind of um, like, like to be watched more closely. And if you have that patient that happens to be having runs of VTAC, you know, and we tried lidocaine, mm-hmm. we tried amnio and it's not working. It's kind of going to show you how your night's going to going to go because that person is probably going to go at some point to sustain VTAC or, or exactly. something like that. So you kind of gauge who is a little more critical um, in the ICU compared to ER where anybody could just like, you know, go to shit. Because you are mm-hmm. the first one to lay eyes on them. I think that's like, Perfect that you explained it like that too, because think about your ICU patient is like, not always, but it's like this beautiful package that we're like giving to. It's like, we stabilize them for the most part. They have lines, they have all the things that they may need. I know like ICU may think otherwise, but we do try our best. I think it's so dependent on like who the nurses are. I'm not going to lie. It, and I, I know that as an ER nurse, I'm like, yo, you guys, this is why ICU hates us is because you're being lazy or like you're not whatever. But there are definite times where it's way too crazy to even care, not to be mean, but like to even care about the levels running through a 22 gauge in their wrist, but they were dead when they got here. That's all we could get. They're like this tiny of a human. How are we going to get at, you know, just like all these things. It's like, we're just trying to keep this person alive. Yeah. So there's so many different dynamics to it. And, and like you said, imagine taking care of that ICU patient, but in the being the first person that you see. So it's like a puzzle, really. Mm-hmm. You get all these symptoms, you get all these things that the patient can report to you. Not always. Let's say they come in and they're found down and out. You've got to figure it out. 
got to figure it out by all these signs and symptoms and what, and sometimes you don't have anything to use the information. So you're just like blindly trying to figure it out sometimes. But I, I love that. I guess I'm just used to it. How is it working at a level one trauma? Because that just adds on to like the disaster, right? Or the chaos, I should say. Yeah. So being at a level one trauma center, that's my home. That's my baby. Like that's all I know. Right. So I think it's different. Like for other people who have never been to level one trauma center, it's crazy. It's especially the only level one trauma center in New Mexico. We get everything. We get everything from the native American reservations. We get even stuff from Arizona, Colorado, like places that don't have what they need uh, for the patient's care. And they just transfer them to us on top of, you know, 80 people waiting in line in triage to get triaged. It's to get triage, not that they're just sitting there. All the ambulances that are coming and all these things just really uh, prepare you for the worst. And I think working at a level one trauma center has been so pivotal in my life and in my career because it's just changed like my outlook on life. It's, it's literally shaped me into like this. I, I hate to like glow because I'm not like the most you know, like, I don't have a bunch of like letters behind my name or whatever. But like, I think I'm a good nurse. I think I'm a badass nurse. And I think working at a level one trauma center is so beneficial to really throw you into the fire and be like, handle it. Because literally, I mean, nursing school can teach you the knowledge, but it can't teach you the experience. So I think level one is like a good place if you know what you want in your nursing career. And even if you don't, it's a good place to kind of be like, this is the place where I can really uh, shape how I want to be as a nurse. Yeah, it's really cool. Even though we haven't worked with you, but you seem like you'd be a, a, a very good nurse, but how, ha- how do you think, um, nursing or the ER has like, like shaped you? Like, for example, for, for myself, um, I value like taking care of myself more because I see all the effects of like heart failure can do, or, you know, yeah. poor dieting, lack of exercise. I see how that affects an individual and I don't want to be in a patient's, patient's shoes at at some point in my life. So how do you think nursing or just the ER has, has shaped you mm-hmm. differently or give you a different outlook? Absolutely. That's like an amazing question. I, it's so hard to just name a, like a certain or like some specific things that I've learned from it. But the one thing that I've learned the most is like how fragile life is and how closely life and death uh, uh, teeter totter close to each other. It's like, life is here and death is here. And like, this is where you live. It's like this little, we're all like, I always go back to what my dad tells me. He's like, we're all on borrowed time. And some people live like they're going to live forever. And it's like, it's true. There's, I I know maybe you guys are uh, familiar with stoicism. So like, I, like basically my dad's a stoic and he doesn't even know it. (laughs) Like he practices this, this way of life. It's like, if it's my time, it's my time. But like, I'm going to only care about like what I can do in my life and change in my life in my power. And it just all ties back to nursing, right? It's like you learn the life that you really want to live for yourself. You understand that life is fragile. So how do I want to, you know, embody that within myself? And you can be reckless and you can act a fool and you can act like you're not going to die tomorrow because it's very possible, especially when I was working at the University of New Mexico Hospital. I saw such traumatic things that I don't think I really processed like I wish I would have at the time. Um, And it kind of manifested in ways that I didn't want it to. But once I started getting the hang of how to deal, how how to deal with more traumatic things like that, because we know what we sign up for, obviously, um, it just breeds this like 
uh, gratitude for life. Like you can just see, it's, it's kind of this weird dynamic of like, you can see human suffering, but you can take that energy and understand that you can use that to your benefit almost of like, wow, life is so amazing just being a human. Mm-hmm. Like we get the opportunity to like make mistakes and build this like life for ourselves. And in that, like, I think that's what it is. It's just like the grace of being alive. Yeah, it's a very beautiful perspective. I, I think that and also it helps you to humble yourself. Because, oh, 100%. Yeah, for example, a couple of years ago, my ego was probably through the roof. Yep. That, that Still was, is. That was Matt. Uh-huh. <laughs> and like, um, basically, when you take what you see as a nurse, like it, it right. really does humble, you know, you're, you're more grateful, as you say, right? And mm-hmm. you respect human life and also yourself. And yeah, it's just like this weird dynamic. And for some reason, like, because of nursing, also, I enjoy talking to older people. Like sometimes yeah. he's an older person, like, honestly, sometimes with an older person, gentleman, you could have the freaking coolest mm-hmm. conversation. You could learn oh, so yeah. much. Like I had a doctor that was teaching me how to like take herbs and how to make medicine out of it. By the way, I was listening to a podcast. Uh, there's a herb that you need to take to um, reduce allergies. Honey, I'm going to recommend it to you. It's not honey, man. I'm actually uh, like slowly clearing up because it's probably because it rains, so pollen's not as much in the air. Yeah. But I'm a big believer of the honey. If you, if you honey, you yep. have allergies. They actually say, like, I'm curious about that herb situation just because, like, I have really fierce allergies. And with all the wind going on in New Mexico, I already know what's going to happen tomorrow. But, they, yeah, they say that if you buy local honey because those bees have the pollen from the um, – weeds and the plants and everything so it actually helps like quote unquote like build your immunity to like these things so you don't have like such triggered allergies I guess. yeah especially like local honey if you get like local honey from like right. amish farm or, or whatever farm it does goes a long way but you know what that herb is called i'm gonna is it, burdock, is it a burdock root is it he's holding it from I'll, us i'll get back to both of you guys after this yeah. um, matt's gonna recommend, recommend aphrodisiac for all listeners <laughs> he's like mushrooms so as you know, and a lot of people know that, you know, nurses get burnt out, right? So I'm not going to ask mm-hmm. you if you ever experienced burnout. Sure. We all have, right? But how do you, how did you figure out how to ba- balance your life when it comes to life and work? And if you did, how long did it take you as a nurse? When did you kind of sure. realize? Was it year two, year three? You're like, damn, I need to take care of myself. Right. That's another amazing question that I think, to be honest, like I know nurse burnout and like compassion fatigue is talked about, but it's not really talked about. It's not really this normalized thing. It's kind of like, yeah, sure. It happens to nurses, but like hide it in the shadows a little bit. Like, you know, when I was talking about earlier, like the hustle culture of being a nurse, it's like, it it was almost where, especially now during COVID where we were being called heroes. Right. I think that triggered a lot of people, (laughs) whether they realize it or not. It's like, we're not, that I get that the community I get what it meant right like I get that we are heroes we do a lot for people at the sacrifice of ourselves obviously most times but it's like that leaves such it doesn't leave room for you to be a human being and I think that's what ties it into your question is yeah I've I've experienced burnout twice and the first time I experienced burnout was about a year and a half into my career and just recently leaving my last contract and it took me, I would say the, there was the year and a half where I knew that I was burning out, but I actually didn't know what it was. I couldn't identify it because I just thought that that's what it was like to be a nurse. I thought that like, you just had to give it all 
and then go home and then your family and friends just like get the rest of whatever you are, Mm -hmm. which I think you don't notice those things about you. Like you, like Peter, you were talking about your coworker who went from days or nights to days when you're in it, you don't realize how shitty you feel until you do something about it, like going to day shift. And then you feel this like immense shift in your body. And it's like, have I been living in like this fog my entire life? And sometimes you have to like do a lot of self-reflection and ask yourself like, what kind of life am I living right now? And I think that, that again, ties back to burnout. It's like the culture of nursing, whether it's talked about or not is like bred to hustle hard and be a martyr for your patients. And it's so important to prevent burnout because going into a profession like nursing it's impossible to say that you're never going to burn out. And even if you don't have the classic symptoms of burnout or compassion fatigue, it's there. And I think it's important to identify like what, what, um, what's like important to you and like how you you just really have to know yourself. You really have to know yourself. You really have to know your triggers. You have to know what makes you happy. You know, you have to just like literally know your core. And that's really hard sometimes when, there's all this outside noise just kind of coming in and all these noises from these machines at work <laughs> that like, it's that constant, like you hear that, that beeping of the monitor going on in the back and you, you know, it's there, but you've built up this tolerance to it that you're like, you just don't even know when to address it anymore. It's like, Oh, the O2 sats 88. Don't worry. It'll go back to like 95 here in a second. The patient just has like sleep apnea. It's just, it's kind of the same thing in, in, burnout it's Mm -hmm. you see the signs that are happening but you you get so numb to it after a while that you don't pay attention anymore because it's normalized behavior and when you're in a culture and it's not to knock on nursing but like I think people are waking up I think people especially like our generation is waking up and being like yo I don't want to be treated like this anymore when we work and it's like you said hopefully like the standard of nursing like UCLA will eventually trickle down into other parts of the U S it's going to come from the top and it's, it's got to, it's, but it's also got to come from us and it's got to come from us being like, this is not okay. And you, it's got to be in a volume of people to say, I've been, we've been working in these conditions of abuse technically and I'm over, I'm done. So it's, it's a huge burnout is such a huge topic that I think gets kind of pushed under the rug a bit. I think that's something I wish to figure out, like maybe as a couple of nurses organization is how do yeah. you, how do you help the bottom scream? Mm-hmm. And then how do you help the top notice? Because like us posting pictures and not to kind of talk shit about anything. No, I get it. Posting masks that we have like, you know, bruises on our faces and it, social media is not going to be the answer. Like somehow mm-hmm. we need to take, the energy and power into you know the political sphere and let legislators know and somehow change that and like that's a problem you know that we as nurses we just get the freaking short end of the stick but not Mm -hmm. only that we just know how to just keep taking it you know not not only from the patient from the doctors from management we just take it take it take it and you can tell when those nurses are just burnt out just like you say right so how do we change that culture i know there's a lot of different people on social media trying to change that but like we, we, it has to be figured out. I don't have a solution for it now, but I hope as you know, we're growing and yeah. things like that, we get more traction. Like that's something that we we're going to have to do. Yeah. I think like as nurses, like we're so selfless 
and we deal directly with these patients and we see how bad or how sick life can be, we start to just like in our heads, we, we say, yeah, well, my life isn't the best, but you know, it could be worse. Mm-hmm. And we compare our mm-hmm. lives to the patient and laying in the bed and saying that, you know, what am I complaining about? Like, look right. at this guy, he's got an LVAD. He's, he's about a, his life is about right. season, maybe one year tops. And it's a shitty way to look at it, but like that kind of thing gets engraved in our head. And like, that's also going to lead to burnout. Like you, I like mm-hmm. what you said that we become numb. Mm-hmm. When it comes for burnout, it's harder for us to know when we're burnt out compared to somebody else because yeah. in that numb phase where we think, oh, I'm just feeling super tired today, but it'll pass. And you keep saying that it'll pass, you know, it'll be, it'll be better. It'll get better. But then like you're two months in and you're, you're still tired. And then your coworker starts saying, Hey, um, why are you so, so quietly? Like, is everything okay? Like, yeah. And, he's right. okay. What do you mean? and you're like, like, Oh shit. You know, like I am still tired. And last time I told myself I'm tired was two months ago and I haven't done anything about it. So a lot of times mm-hmm. for nurses, it's hard to notice when they're in a fog, when, when they're like burnt out, when they're numb, but it's a lot easier for your coworkers to notice it. So if someone brings that up to you, like, Hey, like, is everything okay? That's probably right. another sign that you're being burnt out. Absolutely. And this is something that I think people do know is uh, we work for, and this again is not to knock the system, but we got to know the kind of system that we're working for. It's profit over people. It is. At the end of the day, we work for a system that cares more about money than they do care about the people sometimes. And that's including us and the patients. And it's really unfortunate because I love being a nurse, as I'm sure you guys do. Like, we are all doing it for our own reasons. Some people straight up do it for the money, and you know those people just burn out like that. They, I, like, there are so many times when people tell me, oh, you make such good money, all this stuff. I'm like, yo, if I was doing it for the money, I would have burned out a really long time ago. You have to love this job. And you have to, like, ha- yeah, have such a, a – selfless like altruism you that and I I actually did read a study about that that said people who live their life based off of like altruism and selfless selfless selflessness are more easily to burn out totally right it's like you're bleeding yourself dry of all of your emotions time energy for the like hope that someone else is going to feel better but that's because you care and it's like, sometimes it's not always about altruism for some people. There's many other ways, obviously, to go about life. But I think that's something that a lot of nurses do is they, it's, it's so easy to identify yourself as a nurse. Your, your identity gets so wrapped in being a nurse that you forget that you're human. You forget that you're a daughter, a son, a friend. So it's like, again, when you leave all of yourself at work, your family gets this much of you. And I don't know if you guys, like you said, to pay attention to what your family and friends or whoever is close to you, even your coworker is saying like, maybe you should like take a look at like the way that you're handling things. Because when you're in that state of burnout, which is technically fear-based response, sometimes it's like trauma-based response. It is. And that's a part of your brain that you go into that fight or fight response. When that part of your brain is triggered, it's human psychology that you don't have any more logic to be like, hey, like shake you and be like, you're doing this to yourself or this is wrong. Help, help. It's like screaming you in the face, but the fear is masking it so much that it's like can't make that logical decision. Therefore, you dropping your pen on the floor after having a busy day can just set you off. Mm-hmm. It's like the tiniest circumstances, like going to the store and someone just happened to cut you off 
in the line or, you know, just like every day-to-day things that like, you know, you could typically blow off otherwise become these massive issues in your life and you're like triggered constantly. So it's, I think burnout is like building those boundaries for yourself, for yourself, for your patients and for the environment that you work in. Because like I said, you just have to know yourself so deep at the core of you deeper than all of these, you know, like this culture, you have to know yourself to be able to say, Hey, I don't like the way you talk to me. I'm going to be taking care of you today. And we need to be on the same page if things are going to go well for either of us today, that those are not boundaries that people are used to building with their patients. Patients are humans too. They need to be unfortunately told in a mom voice or dad voice sometimes like, this is not okay for you to do because guess what? In the ER, it is one of the most, I think the, the, um, not assault, but like the violence rate. And like, it's very high in the emergency department because unfortunately it's a normalized behavior, mm-hmm. whether you view it like that or not. Yeah. It's a very good point. And how was, I had a question just slipped. Sorry, I got you. Oh, I'm fine. You're, you're a very self-aware woman. How do you, how did you get yourself to like this point or how do you think people should become like more self-aware with their like emotions, with, with their feelings and just being like, okay with themselves? Right. Self-awareness is such a practice. I am constantly learning more and more and more about myself, but I think it all comes down to, again, like literally sitting yourself down. And I know people don't do this. I know people don't do this or else we would have a more self-aware world, right? It's like sitting yourself down and asking yourself, what kind of life am I living? Is this the actual life that I want for myself? And then also giving yourself grace if it's not the life that you want for yourself, but not sitting in your comfort zone or sitting in your sadness. And it's easier said than done, right? But these are just like the logical ways. It's like understanding who you are as a person and going with where you think is appropriate for your life. Even if that means leaving your job, even if that means setting boundaries, you have to really self-reflect on yourself so hard and be so true to yourself that you build that self-awareness around this is me. And obviously you can't hurt anybody in the, in the process, like intentionally, but like, you just have to really know yourself and it's, it takes a lot of practice. Meditation is a huge thing for me. So. Yeah. Meditation sounds like so cliche and so like cheesy, but right. you would actually do it. Just like, you don't have to do it every day. Just do it once a week. Just like sit down and shut up and just like turn all the music off. Just sit there quietly. Mm-hmm. And if you're not sure like what to ask yourself or you want, or what do you want to think about, just like sit right. there and you're going to have so much thoughts in your head. You're not going to know what to do with them. Right. You know? And and gauge those thoughts or just gauge those thoughts and, and like think about like, why am I getting these thoughts? Or do you have more right. negative thoughts? Do you have more positive thoughts? Why are these thoughts coming into your head? And that's kind of like who you are as a person because there's no really outside influence putting anything in your head at that point in time. Mm-hmm. It's just, just you and just being quiet. And that's like, that's when you start to like self-realize who you are and like self-actualize and determine what do you actually really like, really like compared to what people or mainstream media, media is telling you to like. Yeah not, yeah, not only that, but let's just say something was bothering you for the week. You're right. not going to know it's bothering you because you just had so much shit going on. You're, you're always in motion. Mm-hmm. And then when you sit down for that five, 10 minutes, those you know you keep having those thoughts come up that 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 one event on monday pissed me off and Mm -hmm. it's friday 
And for some reason, I'm thinking about it in this 10 minutes, you know, mm-hmm. and that's why journaling is also another great thing. Cause you could Absolutely. write that down or you could just write down the assessment. It's like a debrief, you know, debriefing. It is a debriefing. <laughs> and you, you, you debrief and then you kind of look at it and you can look back, let's just say two, three days or whenever you journal with dates, you're like, fuck man, I haven't solved this issue. It's still coming yeah. up like that. I I'll journal like maybe like once a week or maybe every three days I did it. What's today? Tuesday. I did it Sunday. Um, but yeah, it's, that's actually another great tool. And I was going to also say that I feel like sometimes humans, you know how like humans love to be the victims. Sometimes Absolutely. like it's like a mental abuse that they, they like, you know how like people seek positivity. I feel yeah. like those kind of people, they, they somehow like seek that ne- negative abuse for some reason. It's like the person that gets into that abusive relationship, how come they keep bouncing back to that person or how come mm-hmm. they keep taking it? It's like some negative rewiring that we have in our brains that they haven't figured out with neuroplasticity or whatever and they just keep taking that victimization or whatever it is yeah i think it's it's because they've gone through that you know either as like a child or that has happened to them so often and so much where that's Mm -hmm. their norm yeah absolutely their brain is comfortable you know having those feelings and that's why you know women that go on like um go into abusive relationships they tend to go into more abusive relationships because as Normal a kid, something happened where they saw a lot of abuse, and that's kind of the that's what they think their norm is. Even they know that's not the norm. The norm, their brain is wired and say, telling them that that is a norm. That's how life is. I'm just gonna have to deal with it, but it's not true, you know. And the hardest part is like you mentioned multiple multiple times is, is change. It's hard mm-hmm. to get out of that cycle because you've been in that cycle for so long. That is you, basically. You know that, that that's you and your own skin, and it's hard to you know be that. I don't know what kind of crab or what kind of animal you know shed skin i forgot like a lobster a or snake. something a snake yeah <laughs> but, but snakes if you say snake a hermit think, crab you would know, think of some like voldemort or some shit someone like a nice right. animal. a hermit you know? they get a hermit <laughs> yeah get a new shell exactly yeah it's hard to shed that shell and start a new one because that's that takes a lot of sex self-actualization a lot of yeah. um, self-honesty and you have to change a big part of your life that's yeah. really hard to do and i i think that's you guys basically are answering the question that you you asked me is like, how do you become more self-aware? Well, you start asking yourself the right questions to get there to the right answers. And the reason, especially going through like my own inner work journey, it's like the reason people, like you said, Peter, keep going back to those abusive relationships time and time again is because it's normal. It's a part of their identity and they don't see that because that is their standard, right? So it's like taking yourself out of that, mentality of like okay like you said Matt on Monday I was triggered and I'm still dealing with it on Friday every time especially my mentor was telling me like every time you feel triggered write down all of the things that you are feeling in that moment every time you're triggered so you can go back and see the patterns because a lot of the times when we think about these things in our head of course there are, there's a million thoughts a day going through our head but there's a pattern underneath that it's like self-hate or hatred of human people, you know, people, or I'm not getting my needs met. That's usually what it comes down to. I'm not being heard. I'm not being cared for. I'm not being these things in my life and I'm being triggered and how I know how to respond again, whether we realize it or not is how we were when we were children. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how did we have to, what did we have to do when we were little to receive love and affection from our caregivers? sometimes that meant being abused and that's really scary not for me personally but just people in the world like in order for you to receive love and attention from your caregiver you had to act out and then your parents 
spanked you or whatever. So now as an adult, you play this victim and you act out and you expect this quote unquote reward. But really as an adult, as a child, you're growing and you're learning, but as an adult, it's toxic. Mm -hmm. And you don't realize that because when you're in it, it doesn't feel real until you literally use like for meditation, like that witness perspective of I'm fucking up my life. I need to do something, but doing something requires such introspection and identity crisis almost that it's scary for people. So that's why they retract back to their normal, even if their normal is toxic. And that's, what's messed up. Like our society does not teach us that like right. real life skills are not being taught at all. Man. Right. It's like education, education. And then like to add on to like this problem in our society is we also have these jobs. Nursing is different, right? I, I feel very fulfilled. I'm helping someone, right? We as mm-hmm. humans, we thrive to help other people. Sometimes mm-hmm. people don't have those jobs. You know, people are working a damn assembly line. People are working a nine to five that they're just, I don't know, flipping a damn burger. All those right. jobs, right? There's no satisfaction from life doing those jobs. Mm-hmm. And then they can't afford hobbies or things that they want to do because they're living. Absolutely. So I'm all for having some robots, you know, automate autom- <laughs> all that shit. I so like AI. AI. Neuralink. Neuralink, whatever, you know, like let's just get some some tasks in our society just taken care of, have some universal income and let people enjoy themselves a little bit more, man. We're just stuck in this bubble of negativity and Mm -hmm. news. And I mean, I don't have a solution for everything. Right. But I think that's a great start where like people should start taking time for themselves to figure out what they like doing. Mm -hmm. An example is my uncle, you know, he's, he was very, very negative and just worked his job. He works at the meat factory. Right. And he found a hobby. He likes liquor. He, he makes um, alcohol now. It's called Sitanufka Lemon Shots. He makes, cool. goes on YouTube. He looks up different stuff with, you know, raspberries and cherries. And he tests his liquor and he doesn't get money for this, but it freaking de-stresses him. He comes from work yeah. and he, this is his little passion, little hobby that he has. And mm-hmm. people need to find more of that. They need to lean into those things that they have fulfillment and some kind of satisfaction mm-hmm. in life. Yeah, I watched yeah. a YouTube video recently about like uh, mental breakdowns. Like when you think about a mental breakdown, uh, there's like this negative cloud that that's around. Like person breaking down mentally, they're going crazy. But a lot of people need like a mental breakdown. I feel like mental breakdown is like is like looking at Legos, and then um, you know you, the Legos fall apart, and you, what what can you do with Legos? You could you could rebuild something. I feel like people need that. I don't want to say trauma. That kind of no, they do those. Yeah, that kind of event where it's so emotional, so strong, um, so so you could say aggressive that they break apart, like they they they, they shatter to pieces emotionally, physically, and mentally, and then they're able to have a chance of to rebuild themselves again because they obviously don't want to be in that situation again. Maybe they'll realize why they had to make a mental breakdown and see that as like another door opening, you could say, and one mm-hmm. closing from the past. Yes, definitely. I. I totally understand that and and think it's necessary to have, even if it's not an emotional breakdown, a transitional period in your life where you have to reflect on yourself because even as, as adaptable as humans are, we're not perfect. We need things to constantly remind us that we need to grow. And I think we do unfortunately live in a society where growing and being better and seeing, and seeing failure as failure instead of an opportunity to like, I think it's what I'm trying to say is like, it's your relationship with 
feelings and with words and change. If I have this relationship around failure of this means something about me, this means I'm a failure. I suck. I can't do better, whatever. I'm like, excuse me. The last time I checked, Bill Gates was never a hundred percent a winner and Elon Musk He's an alien, but he (laughs) He has to be. He he also, I'm sure, has made plenty of mistakes in his life, but mistakes are opportunities to reflect. And to be honest, again, going back to stoicism, one of my favorite books is The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. The title literally tells you everything you need to know. The obstacle is going to, no matter what it is, push you in the direction of where you need to go. You can be the own sufferer of your life or you can be your own hero. And sometimes we have to play that middle ground of both because we can't always be perfect. And I think society has this weird image of it's a it's a bread image, actually, of like you can only and have to only be positive and happy and live in this constant state of like toxic positivity. And that's not what it is. We're humans. We get to feel angry and sad and emotional and anxiety. But it's like, what what is the relationship you have with those emotions? Because emotions don't mean anything until you assign something to them. They're neutral, essentially. And I think that's what it is with positivity. It has like very negative concept because just because you're having a shitty day doesn't mean you have to like think of something positive or turn that mood. Like it's okay to internalize those emotions. That's why you're a freaking human being. You have those ups and downs and things like that, you know? Um, but I'm curious on how did you start your personal development journey? Yeah. Um, a good question, Peter, leaving your contacts in your eyes for too long. It's actually kind of a funny story because so I went to a rave called lightning in a bottle. <laughs> it's out in the middle of California. It's like a five day festival. And on the very last day, I thought it would be a good idea to like not take my contacts out. And I had been in the water. There's like out in that location, there's actually a lake, which is like one of the best parts because you get to take like floaties out there and just like meet people and like pre COVID times, right? When we actually had fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I left my contacts in my eyes that night and something like, I swear it was like Jesus or the universe was like, take your contacts out. And I didn't woke up the next morning had a really, really excruciating like pain in my left eye. So I I had a like little mirror next to me and I looked in my eye and I took out my contact and there was a divot in my eye. And I didn't, I was freaked out and I touched it because I wasn't sure if like something stayed in my eye, but I touched it and it was a divot. And sorry to like speed up that story a little bit. I thought it was a corneal abrasion. I went to the doctor. I was in California, right? And I lived in New Mexico. So I had to wait until I got home, suffered through, I don't know if you ever had an eye infection, but like light sensitivity, feeling like there's sand constantly in your eye and this like, it's like just watering constantly. So it's like allergies on steroids, essentially. Thought it was a corneal abrasion for like three weeks. So they're treating me for three weeks, but it turns out I went, I like had to advocate for myself and say, Hey, I'm a healthy person. Why is this not getting better? So I had them refer to me to a corneal specialist. They diagnosed it as a fungal eye infection, which lucky me, such my luck, that is one of the most rare things you can get for eye infections because most things are bacterial, right? Mm -hmm. So there's only two drugs on the market that can treat this eye infection. And it turns out that the medication is $700 and 
you know, that's kind of, sorry to like go off topic, but that kind of ties back to like, you know, affording healthcare. And if I didn't have insurance and I was poor or in poverty, I would have lost my eye. Mm -hmm. So it's like to get back on story, like that kind of had me self-reflecting about a lot of things. Cause I never took my vision for granted per se, but I did in a sense, right. I, I wore my, not to be, not to bash on you, Peter, but like, I, I didn't, because I think I'm going to live forever. And I think that, you know, I'm going to have my vision forever. I wore my contacts to sleep and it ended up in this situation. So to speed up the story, I was at home, just miserable. Just like imagine three weeks of being treated for something that it wasn't even. And then this medication I had to take, it was like gritty white. It looked like milk almost that I had to put in my eye Q 15 minutes Damn. Holy shit. for two weeks. It was brutal. And it's like, they were weaning me off steroids, which like steroids can really mess with your eyes over a long period of time. So like, I'm going through the feels, right. I'm going through it. I'm like, and on top of that, I, this is where the like culture of nursing is so toxic for like people is I was still working. I was still at work with my eye looking nasty and swollen and red, just wearing glasses instead of contacts with like the super dry air conditioning system of my hospital, Mm -hmm. taking care of patients and trying to like not let myself die on the inside. So I finally, I told my parents, I was like, I can't go to work anymore. And they said, well, just call off. And to me, I'm like, my integrity is so strong that I'm like, I got to be dying to call off. And that was just honestly inbred into me, like, or taught from my parents, like, yo, you better be dying before you call into that. Like, it's such a sign of being unprofessional, you know, but I didn't want my coworkers to like be disappointed in me, but even they looked at me and they're like, whoa, like you got to go home. (laughs) So I, you know, when we were talking about how you build that self-reflection, that was a huge part for me because that was the first time in a long time that I sat with myself and really reflected and realized that a good portion of my life before was like on autopilot. Mm -hmm. Like I was just going through the motion, not to sound depressing by any means, I have a good life. It's just, I realized how how different my life was compared to what I really wanted from myself. So it was literally sitting in the dark in solitude in my room because I could feel the muscles in my eyes every time it would contract and dilate, like literally pain in my eye for months. So just sitting in the dark and being like, I got to do better for myself. So it, it, that's when my inner journey really took off. And you're talking about people needing that like traumatization in their life you don't have to have something gigantic, like a stroke to happen to you to change your life. You could even have like the most minor thing happen to you or to a family member to really have you reflecting back on yourself. And I think that made me realize like I was crying and I had cried myself to sleep so many times being like, I'm never going to see the world again with two eyes. And like, that is such a scary feeling. Like I, I want you guys after this podcast to like go for like maybe an hour with an eye patch on or just covering your eye and viewing how different you perceive the world. It's so crazy. It's so crazy. And you don't realize it until you're injured or something happens to you that you're like, oh, I broke my arm. I didn't realize how much I actually used my arm. Like we take advantage of these things. And that's, again, what nursing makes you so thankful for is normalcy and the homeostasis of the body just working. That's great. Do you have any long-term effects from it? 
yes. So I know you were talking about getting LASIKs. It's really, it's, I'm telling you, do it. It, it is such a like eye opener. <laughs> but, um, you got a link for the, for the LASIKs. <laughs> right. So I can't get LASIKs anymore. You know, the irony of this was when I was coming back from that music festival, that next day I had a consultation for LASIKs. Oh, shit, you fucked up. So not only did I think that I fucked up, but I saw it in such a big picture thing as, yo, if I would have gotten LASIK, would something bad would have happened to me? You know, my brain kind of went to that place. Like, did this, I'm a universe, like big picture kind of girl. I'm like, what did that mean? Did that mean that maybe my LASIK surgery would have left me blind? You know, like all of these things. So it did leave a long-term effect. I actually have a scar on the left upper corner of my eye and the corneal specialist had been told me, he was like, you're so lucky that you are young and that it didn't hit the pupil or the like, yeah, the middle aspect of your eye, because it actually created a, a, an irregularity. I have like an astigmatism now, technically like an irregularity in my eye. Mm -hmm. So because of that, when you get LASIKs, they like do the laser and then flip over your cornea or yeah, I think it's your cornea. So you can't with the irregularity, it would mess it up. So now I just, I'm doomed to wear glasses and contacts for the rest of my life, but like bless up, I can still see. <laughs> That's how I, I'm very thankful for my vision every day now. Are you um, like familiar with like shadow work? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So that I just started getting into, uh, thank God for quarantine because, you know, you can view it as like a time to be depressed and sad, which I think all of us should sit in for a little while. But I think it's a good opportunity to like use the time for growth. And I just kind of saw myself like reflecting a lot, obviously, and just realizing that like, I was still not where I wanted to be, not in a sense of like feeling bad for myself, because again, I have a great life, but just thinking like, what more do I want for myself? So I actually joined this program, I actually um, was on Instagram one day and was watching this or Instagram live with this guy named Miles Scott. And it, his Instagram, I don't know, if, like, you, I, I'm not really like, he didn't pay me to say this, but his Instagram is like, at the Miles Scott. And he's like an inner work, shadow work person. And his post just resonated with, with me so much. And he was on an Instagram live with a woman who had gone through his program. And I was just at a point in my life where I just needed something more and couldn't identify what it was. There was this like longing in me that I was like, I need to break from this mold and I don't know how to get there. So I joined this program. And honestly, I wouldn't feel and talk and act I think I would still be like the like self-aware human I am, but this really brought it to like level 1000. Mm -hmm. it, it had me thinking about how other people's reactions are not about me, which I knew that, but it made, it made more sense. It, it went from my knowledge of knowing to like understanding and integrating it into my day-to-day -day life. So shadow work, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with it. It's literally like you have your ego, you have your subconscious, you have all these things, but there's the shadow part of you that a lot of our repressed emotions and like societal norms and all of these things that are not identified with our true and authentic self kind of get shoved into this dark place within ourselves. And that's what I'm talking about when it's really hard for people to reflect because you don't want to, to know the dark parts of yourself. You suppress them for a reason, right? You don't have time for that or whatever the situation may be. You, you don't feel mentally prepared to tackle those emo emotions because it's hard. It's really hard. And 
that that's honestly where my shadow work had like left me as like, I'm tired of living the way that I am right now, where I feel like I'm being reactive to my life, even through all the self-work that I've done. It's time to take my life and like be in the like driver's seat and say, yo, I want my life back. And I think that had a lot of people, especially being in that place of self-reflection during quarantine, because it was a forced uh, reflection of their life of, does my job make me happy anymore? Am I in a toxic relationship? Am I doing the things that I actually love? So personally, I thought that the quarantine was a good time for people to really be forced to understand like, yo, you're either doing really good, you could do better, uh, like just be a good, like better person in the world, or you're really like not in the place you want to be in your life and you've got to get somewhere else. What's the exact method that they use? Is it like meditation and journaling? And do you just ask those questions and then you just see how you feel about things and reassess? What's the exact methodology? It is such like, when I tell you that it is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, I mean that. It's like, there's so many different parts of it. Like when you're talking about journaling and meditation and working out and all those things, like those are self-regulation tools to help you through the shadow work. But it also brings perspective to your shadow. So it's like, I wish that I, I could explain it a little bit more. Like I wish my mentor was here to like explain what shadow work really, really means. But it's basically like bringing your darkest parts of you that you've unconsciously, not always conscious, suppressed in your life like let's say childhood trauma, that's huge, huge. And I think, like I mentioned before, a lot of us react as our childhood self because that was our normalizing way of getting love and affection. So that's actually where this program kind of starts is realizing that we have these traumas in our life that uh, have trapped these emotions in us and that a lot of the things in our life are based off of these trapped emotions that we haven't identified as quote unquote traumas. You could have a big T, which is, you know, like um, a hurricane or like abuse, like domestic violence. Those are big T's. Little T's are little traumas like bullying or not feeling accepted in society, things like that. Things that you think are normal, but really are pushing you away from like your most authentic self creating these masks for yourself that help you quote unquote, like help you survive to creating this identity of like, well, I want to fit in. So I have to get married at 30. I have to have kids at 30. And for a lot of us who don't think that that's a normal thing, we feel pressured and that's a trauma because that's a, that's a normal society or that's a, a uh, normalized behavior of if you don't fit into this box, you're different. And it, it, it leaves people really kind of questioning their whole identity of like who they are as a person. And, and I think that's really what trauma work is, or uh, sorry, well, it's the same thing. Trauma work and shadow work is like facing those things of asking yourself the right questions to get to the right answer. Do I actually, am I actually this mean person or is this just a trauma response from childhood? Or is this just a trauma response from not feeling accepted growing up because whatever reason, you know, it's, it's a lot of questions, hard questions that you have to ask yourself to get to the right answer. And it's, it's hard. And a lot of people get scared when they first go into it because it's like someone's taking your 
insecurities and like shoving them in your face and being like, deal with this. So you have this like fierce identity crisis when you first start. That's wild. It's like recognition before action. I feel like we just had like a giant session here around. Sorry. (laughs) And to me, like, and it's so weird because to me, self-work has always been so intuitive for me. And I, I guess I just hold people in my brain at that standard of like, well, why doesn't everyone just do this? And I'm like, oh, well, because it's fucking hard. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I have lived a relatively easy life. I have very supportive parents. My career has been very streamlined, but like doesn't mean I haven't had difficulties or a hard life or whatever. Like I think that's where a lot of people get discouraged is, well, I haven't had a hard life or whatever. So I don't think I've had these traumas in my life. It's like, you don't realize what traumas are until you face them. And you realize that bullying in school, for me, that was a huge thing for me. I was bullied up until high school. And you don't realize how that that affects you as an adult, because you always felt like you were never a part of something that everyone else was a part of. And it, and it, it always, you're, you're, looking through, like my mentor says, like through these lenses of confirmation bias. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that term of if I feel bad about myself, I'm constantly subject or subconsciously looking for things that validate those feelings about me. It's very like deep. I I hate to, it's just very like, you have to go to that place of such darkness in yourself. Not that I'm like this super dark person, but like parts of ourselves we don't want to meet. And then you ask yourself, why is it that I keep reacting like this? And then you just find the answers. And then when you find the answers, you're like, holy shit, I've been living this life of like what everyone else has been wanting for me for so long. And you just don't realize it. So it's, it's pretty amazing. And it's, and it's scary. <laughs> it's crazy because when I was younger or I, I was doing shadow work without even realizing it. Right. Yeah. It came to me not being a sensitive person, but I, I took things personally a lot. And I always thought that people are reacting to something that I'm doing wrong or right. vice versa. And I didn't realize until I started taking myself in that third perspective or just start thinking like, you know what, you didn't do anything. But sometimes mm-hmm. we always point fingers on ourselves, just mm-hmm. like we are our own worst critic. We always right. like attack ourselves in every situation. And we and like, like the people that say sorry about everything, that shit bothers the hell out of me. I pointed out right away and somebody stopped saying, sorry, you didn't do anything, you know, because we're always like the whole, we take everything personally, man. It's like, that was, I feel like a part of me that I've realized so much. And that helped me to start like becoming super self-aware when I right. stopped taking things so personally and realizing that like, Hey, people are reacting to you because they have their own issues in life. And you didn't, you didn't do absolutely nothing wrong. Right. Beautiful. And that's, it's I, that is beautiful and like I think that's so amazing that like you had such introspection at a young age like that's not whether you and to you that's normalized is what right like to you you're like oh yeah that was just a part of me that like figured that out for a lot of people that's not normal like that's not something that people are like like when you're traumatized like big T's like when you're traumatized at a young age you are forced to grow up quick and you are for, and, and you remember a lot of your younger childhood. Like me, I remember some parts and like people have to like bring things up to me to be like, oh yeah, I remember that. And I think it just comes back to like, you figure things out in your, everyone figures out things in their life in a different way. What works for me may not work for you, Matt, or may not work for you, Peter, but like we all get to that place in our life, but it takes 
action and it takes the initiative. And yeah, when you stop taking things personally, that launches you so far because you break these molds of like, I don't, I, I just have to be me. I just have to be me and I will attract what is true to me no matter what. Because when you try to be somebody else, then you attract these things into your life that you're like, this is not who I am. So it's like to have that perspective is amazing. And I think you should give yourself a lot of credit for that. Peter, pat me on the back. Came a long way, man. Came a long way, man. Um, it, it, so it's like, it's interesting. Like what, you know how like that movie, The Matrix, like what is The Which Matrix? One? Right. Oh, to start with the first one. Oh, no. good. <laughs> Which is, one? Is the, is, the, is the Matrix like the preconditioning that we had in society that forced us to always take things personally? Because maybe there's people that are dealing with the same damn issue. We're not realizing it until we yeah. take ourselves out, you know? Are we unplugged from The Matrix, you know? Just like negativity, Mm-hmm. Oh, geez, man. I was, I'm watching Deep Space on Gaia, so I don't want to go into a tangent here. Oh, I love aliens. stuff like this. I'm all I'm, I'm into whatever you want to talk about. Okay, so fuck. I, let's get <laughs> <laughs> the cliff notes, okay? okay. Down, down the rabbit hole we go. Yeah, down the rabbit hole we go. Um, and we're not even talking about traveling or anything else, but it's cool. And that's what's so cool about this show is, is we just free flow and yeah. as it is. So so you know how the matrix there's this ai that's using humans as energy right well they were talking about in deep space that maybe supposedly there are beings on this planet and they're they're using because we're starting to figure out anti-gravity and supposedly the germans already knew about it if there's anti-gravity and you know look at water for example there's this water method if you take if you are angry or if you're a positive the the water structure on a molecular level mm-hmm. changes correct just like a snowflake 100%. I never yeah. tried it. I don't know. Okay. There's a, <laughs> it's on YouTube. Um, and I'll show you. So basically if water is able to feel our emotions and it's technically conscious in a way, because everything's technically has its own conscious. Yeah. So could it be due to like the heat and the cold you experience with your emotions? I think it's just energy. It's, you know ener- it's energy, man. It's energy. It's energy you're releasing. Technically heat and energy are the same thing. That's yeah, I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> so, so if, if we're in this matrix that we're conditioned to be take things personally, right? What if okay. the matrix is really, because what if there's beings on this planet, they're able to use energy, negative or positive, right? They have a way of mm. extracting it somehow. So if that's happening, then the goal is to just keep people in a negative bubble. Because mm-hmm. that's their energy, that's their source of energy, which is that mm-hmm. fuel for them. Right. Interesting. So what if that's the matrix? It's just us being in this negative bubble of just yeah. fear, negativity. There's always shit happening. Oh my God, protest now, this, that. It's just like yeah. constant negativity. Where does that energy going, man? Yeah, because you think about it, like like you said, there's constant like like fear. And what drives people the most is literally is fear, fear. right? Mm-hmm. And then it's so much easier to think about negative things and positives. Like you could recall somebody that hurt you. Yeah, like that over somebody that made you happy, yep. right? Yeah, and if we were um, like, if I mean, it doesn't make sense if someone's feeding off this energy. This has been instilled in us for for such a long time. Like we right. are gonna be negative. We are gonna be be fearful over over anything, right? Yeah. It's gonna be it's like a learned behavior, and mm-hmm. we've been learning it for this long. It, like with especially with news, like it's all negative. It's all negative. If it's not negative, yeah. it doesn't attract any kind of attention. Nobody. And the thing is, like the thing with people, a lot of times I notice is they don't like to see other people happy right it makes them seem smaller than they, than they actually are yeah. and that's kind of what's fucked up about society is like people do not want to see people succeed it's like is if i'm not succeeding nobody else is and it's pretty messed right. up like i don't know how i don't know what else to explain 
And that's yeah. another thing, like, you know how you guys said that nursing helps you to like maybe appreciate a little bit more mm -hmm. and maybe you're not as fearful, but on the other side of the spectrum, people know how uh, fragile life is yet they're fearful about everything. Like, Hey, don't go Correct. out for that. Yep. Car is going to hit you. And like, dude, they're living in a constant fear. Well, how are you going to live your best life? If you're always in this bubble of you're always thinking about the worst thing that could possibly happen for every little event that you do. Yeah. You're going to sit your ass at home and do nothing, right? It's not a good way to live life. It's not. Yeah. And I think that's like the important to touch on too, is even through all the questions that you got, you guys have asked me earlier, like how to prevent nurse burnout or how to deal with it. And like how to know self-awareness and all these things, like it's literally building a balance in your life, like to be, and that's subjective. That's so subjective to each person, but it's building this. My dad literally just said yesterday that he wanted to buy a motorcycle. Do you know where my brain went? I went dad. And especially in New Mexico, it's not mandatory to wear helmets. I know he would, but still I'm like, dad, do not buy a motorcycle. Are you kidding me? Like in my head, I immediately, not it got triggered, but I was like, I, I can envision, I'm such a visual person. Like I saw my patients that have just been mauled by bikes and streets. And like, it's not, it's not that they're being reckless on their bike all the time. It's that other people don't see you. And I'm like, dad, I really would like you to live for a good portion of my life. Like, please don't buy a motorcycle, you know? So it's that balance between living your best life, consciously aware of the dangers. And it's like, now I think after like 25, I have these like rationalized fears of like, huh, if I jump off of this ledge into water, I could potentially break my legs and I could not work. And then it goes to this whole thing, like not working equals no money equals sadness. And you know, all of this, th all these things. And it's like, you just have to do what's right for you. And I know some people you'll, you'll, you're going to offend people along the way. You're going to, people are going to question you. People are going to judge you, whatever. Yo, do what you got to do to live your life again with the respect of other human beings in life, but you just have to create that balance for yourself. Yeah. Not to entice your dad to get a motorcycle, but I, I have a bike and driving a bike is like <laughs> one of like the most, especially if you like, if you like control, like it's like the right. most controlling things you could do. Like you're in full control of that bike. Like everything you do is, is, is based off you. And if your dad yeah. gets a bike, I'm down to cruise with him one day in New Mexico. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. New Mexico is beautiful for those of you watching. It's a, it's a hidden gem for sure. But yeah, I mean, it's just, there's so much to these topics. It's like, we could literally be talking on and on and on, but to go back to your whole matrix situation, it's like we as human beings, I literally Googled it the other day. I, I Googled why do human and do human and excuse me, do humans think so negatively all the time. I just wanted to know what was going to pop up on the internet. And I'm like, why do human brains just immediately go to negative? And it said, it's human psychology that in the caveman days, in order to survive, your fight or flight responses have to kick on. Mm -hmm. And essentially not everyone's going to fight. They're going to fight or vice versa or flee like, or, or sorry, or freeze. So some people's trauma responses have a lot to do with that. And it, it just literally goes back to your primal phase of people live in fear because like we talked about earlier, that amygdala response comes on. And when you're in fear, there's no logic. It's just a thing in your brain. There's no way to get around it unless you can self-regulate yourself to come down from that fear. So I know myself enough to where I see enough at work. I don't need to watch the news. I don't. And if it's ignorant for me to do that, 
and whatever, I just have to keep my peace. I will stay up to date on what I need to stay up to date on, but I have to create that inner peace for myself, for me not to be triggered. We unfortunately live in a time where someone is running the United States and use fear provoking information to manipulate the humans in this world. He's very intelligent, whether anyone wants to admit that or not, because he uses that power to control his followers and to the people in society because he knows fear provoking information works. It puts you in that flight or fight response where you don't use the logic in your brain and you go based off of safety. And sometimes safety is, you know, understanding what is important to you. And if, if he, if someone uses the word, like something's going to be taken from you and your logical part of your brain is not working anymore, you fight for what you want or you freeze or you, whatever the situation may be, whatever whatever is your trauma response or whatever is your appropriate response. But there are people in the world that can like self-regulate, break apart the information and say, that doesn't really make sense. And then you kind of just go down that path of, you know, just kind of what makes sense to you. Yeah. We all need tinfoil hats guys. That's, that's the answer. Hell yeah. (laughs) Rand, this is probably one of my like favorite episodes so far. Like I I like that we like combine like science and like psychology because like Science is, science is seen as like so like objective and then psychology right. is so subjective. Right. And, and, and I enjoy science and psychology like probably most out of any other yeah. subjects. Is it probably Agreed. Probably, if not, one of my favorite conversations, if not my favorite conversation so far in this episode, we're like 76. Uh, 78. 78, damn. Nice. Yeah, Might be 79. Who knows? Wow. Man, so it's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I had a question. Like I know like on your Instagram, you travel a lot. So like, where's like your next location and why do you love traveling so much and things like that? Yeah. So I, I don't actually think we touched on that for the nurse burnout, but that was my balance is, is I realized after a year and a half when I was experiencing my burnout, I literally, you know, those moments you read in books or TVs or whatever, YouTube, where it's like, I woke up one day and I just had this epiphany type deal. I literally woke up and I was like, there's got to be more to life than just waking up and working and going to the gym and doing the same thing over and over again. Like there, uh, there's a difference between routine and just being in your comfort zone where like you can't grow anymore. Mm-hmm. And I realized like I got to do what also makes me happy. And I, even though nursing was very fulfilling and is still very fulfilling for me, I needed that outlet to be more of myself. So travel really, like you're talking about nursing, teaching you things, travel taught me things that I don't think you could ever learn anywhere else. And if you do, it's going to take time to learn those things. Like I learned about humanity aside from nursing, of course, it's a different type. You're not seeing human suffering as much, you know, it's like, I learned about humanity. I learned how to communicate differently. I learned how to understand culture, understand different people. Like right now, people are living in other countries in like poverty and that's their normal. And that's so eye opening when you come from America where everything is instant gratification you want an answer boom you can look it up online versus when you're in poverty you don't have those access to things so for me travel is my way to quote unquote escape like I'm not trying to escape my life but it's a time for me to refresh and a time for me to see things from a different perspective that I wouldn't otherwise be able to see on my day-to-day basis because again it's like normalized behavior you humans are so adaptable you just like like COVID is a good example. We have all grown normal to wearing masks now. 
we're just so adaptable and it's kind of amazing but travel to me especially like I, I think I kind of explained a little bit growing up I kind of felt like the black sheep of a lot of of a lot of things and like not really fit into like specific groups or whatever but when I found travel I literally clicked instantly with these type of people that just love and thrive off of the experience of travel. And I think it speaks very much to travel nursing as well is travel nursing is such a unique career. It's literally not like anything else. Every 13 weeks, you are thrown into the absolute unknown, new place, new hospital, new people, new coworkers, new patient population, literally everything new. That's extremely difficult for the quote unquote average person. And it's like, it takes a certain amount of resilience. And I think it's hard in the beginning to connect with people, but then you find that travel nursing community and you're like, holy shit, these are my people. You know, you're like, you don't feel so different anymore. And I think that's what's so great about travel is it brings together like-minded people but they're also so diverse and so different. And that is so beautiful. Like I'm like such a like deep compassionate, like I love life and I love like human beings that that's why I think I'm attracted to travel and to raves and to all these things that breed community because I just love seeing human connection and, and, and love and, you know, just like, like you said, people hate uh, seeing other people grow. I love that shit. I eat that shit up. I'm like, my fr- even if I'm not in a good place in my life and my friends are in a way better place than me, I don't need to compare myself because they would do the same thing for me. They would be rooting for me even if they were in a bad place in their life. You have to build that community within your life to like know that you have those people behind you. So I think that's what travel has done for me. It's, it's built such a huge community of like love and support. Insert Gary Vaynerchuk here. Insert <laughs> <Mr>. Vaynerchuk. <laughs> And that's what travel nursing is. We just, you, you get to experience not only that, but yeah, community travel. You learn so much about yourself. Like when I went alone for seven months, yeah, you have that phase of loneliness, but then you kind of learn how to date yourself. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's amazing, Mm -hmm. you know, and not only that, but to wrap up the whole burnout thing, if you're a traveler placed in, you know, that unit, you're able to see burnout. You see it right away amongst yeah. people or that nurse that comes and starts complaining. Like you, you it's just, it's so visible. Mm. And you could talk to somebody like, yeah, you guys are experiencing burnout, yeah. but that whole unit doesn't, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's awesome. And I'm excited to start travel nursing again. Cause I've been, yeah. I haven't worked for two months and it, we're almost three months coming up. So I'm like, fuck, dude, man, I'm ready to go get a patient. <laughs> Life is good. Yeah. You say that now and two weeks in, you're like, damn, this guy must pissing me off. Do I'm going to buy <laughs> bless up I feel that I I will be out of work for two months before this next contract starts but I'm like itching to like start in my V I'm like I miss people like in that sense you know that was even in co- when COVID first hit I didn't really feel the effects of it too much because we were constantly at work dealing with people so you still get that like inner connection I know Matt you had talked before about talking to your patients and really getting to know them it's like Ah, that's one of my favorite parts about nursing. ER doesn't breed that too, too much only because you, you really don't have time sometimes to sit with your patients. But when you do, you learn that like the people who suffer the most, not always, they teach you the most about yourself. They're like this person who had a stroke, basically a vegetable, but is able to talk still told me taking care of his wife and his daughter were the best things that he could have been blessed with in, of his entire life. And that 
all he cares about is being able to take care of them and that he can't do that now that he has a stroke. And I like start bawling. I'm like, that's so beautiful because like, how raw is it to be a nurse? And these people just trust you with their life. Like they trust you so deeply. Like I've had patients literally, I'm like working my ass off all day. And there's a moment when patient, and I think nurses live for these moments where a patient was like, don't worry, I trust you. It just came out of nowhere. And I thought he was, I thought he was kind of like not the nicest patient. But when he said that, I was like, wow, this whole time I thought like you're, you know, you're, you see these people in their vulnerable, most vulnerable state. So you don't judge them for that. Like they're dealing with some shit. But then you hear those things and you're like, we are strangers to these humans and they trust us so much with themselves that like they will blindly kind of let them, let us lead them, which is scary sometimes, but also amazing because you can really like, you can, that's where you can insert your, your wanting to be the better person in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rand, you have a very available perspective on like life and on the world and like on work. Where can people find you at if they want to follow you? Um, a first name and my last name. So Rayan, R-E-Y-A-N-N-M-O-Y-A um, on Instagram. And then obviously that's actually the same way that you find me on YouTube. I'm trying to be like, not like you guys, but trying to like put more content on my YouTube channel only because I feel like I love talking about stuff like this. And I feel like it doesn't get talked about enough um, on YouTube. And I, I want to be like someone who that's like one of my core values in life is like being able to give back on the wisdom that I do have. I think that's so important to like share the knowledge that you have with people. And I think that's, I love to talk obviously. So that's like an important way for me to like reach out to people. Yeah. It's very available. Like we need more people like you out there in the world. We need more people like you guys out in the world. Thank you for literally, I know you guys see it as like your, I'm sure you get plenty of like gratitude and like happiness from what you do, but really appreciate like, someone could literally be listening to one of your podcasts and it'd be very life-changing. You don't realize how tiny, even though these actions are not tiny, like how one thing you said could have literally set someone off on such a good part of their life. So like keep doing what you guys are doing. I think it's great. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, you so much. We'll see you yeah. next time. Yeah. You can let us know whoever bullied you and then we could, we could um, find where they live. Matt does jujitsu. <laughs> hey, it shaped me into the person I am today. So I'm still grateful. <laughs> Awesome. We'll take care of it. Have a great one. All right. Take care. Bye.